Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette. Joining me, as always, is my wonderful friend, Joshua Gray. Hello. Are we friends? We're friends now. We're friends now? We're, we're wonderful friends now. Wow. I'm so happy. I have a friend, finally. Thank well, you, you, John. You have lots of friends. <laughs> Two of them are joining us today. Hopefully. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> we have... Uh, you, you sure you want to speak for other people? I know, right? <laughs> Back again, we have our director, Mr. Bill Karen. How are you doing, sir? Good morning. Good morning. And joining us for the first time, we are graced by Dr. Desiree Crawford, and she is our acting nurse manager. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing well. Good morning. We're happy to have both of you guys here today. And first, we want to talk a little bit about some of our uh, latest news with the vaccine. So we had uh, kind of taken a break from the COVID conversation last week or two weeks ago when we had our um, women's health clinic uh, folks on here. But uh, just to give an update... Just last night, we breached the uh, 15,000 vaccine dose mark, which is a, is a pretty big milestone. And, um, you know, since December 16th, when we first ro- started rolling out the vaccines, we've uh, increased the, the capacity of our pod. We've seen, um, you know, we've increased the, the age ranges of the groups that are available. Um, in your opinion, sir, how do you feel like the, uh, the vaccine pod has been going so far? You know, we were fortunate uh, to be on the front end of the vaccinations because we had the infrastructure and the, and the equipment in order to manage the uh, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, which does have some specific um, challenges that come along with it. But it's a highly effective vaccine, as everyone well knows. So we were on the front end of this. Uh, and because of the experience we've had with influenza vaccinations, and we've used the, the pod exercises um, annually and exercise that routinely, it was not a, a heavy lift to transition. Uh, so we were fortunate in that respect. To hit that 15,000 mark, you know, just for perspective, you look across the country and you look at other VAs, uh, and we're consistently at the, at the top rung of those ladders. We're pushing out vaccines. It really is one of our primary missions right now is, is to get veterans vaccinated. That's our way forward and that's our way out of this pandemic. And w- one of the things that was a pretty monumental undertaking last weekend was we actually expanded it to uh, one of our rural clinics in Pahrump for the first time. And uh, there were 401 doses that were administered there as well, which uh, was pretty incredible. To, uh, Josh and I were on hand uh, you know, for the beginning of that last Saturday. And, you know, it was, it was a very well-oiled machine, despite the fact that they're setting it up in a clinic that they hadn't really had a long time to prepare for. Right. Um, you know, they, they were, were old pros at it. And, uh, and the veterans that, that showed up were, you know, were orderly and they seemed very, uh, you know, grateful and excited to be able to get the vaccine when they did. And for us to be able to bring it out to them, you know, for, for a lot of those veterans who were older and, you know, lack the ability to, to travel to Las Vegas... Um, having it made available to them uh, was was a pretty you know great great thing, um, and you know that that wouldn't have been possible without the uh, the pod staff. Right. Um, they've done a lot, but also um, our nursing staff. You know, our, our nursing staff has has really like stepped up um, during the pod. And uh, sir, do you do you think that you know we would have been able to do this without the nurses that we have here? 
Oh, flat out, we could not provide health care in the absence of our nursing staff. They're a critical mass of employees, um, essentially about a third of our overall employment. Um, that's how critical of a backbone that they are. So uh, when it comes to the, the point of dispensation and the vaccination program, you have to have them. Um, they're really uh, critical, critical role players uh, in the vaccination process. So, Dr. Crawford, uh, back to you on this. So you have been the acting nurse manager for how long? So I've been the acting ADPCS nurse executive since October. I'm recalling correctly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Seems um, like all the days blend into <laughs> I know they do. Since, they, the since everything, all the days run together. But since October, um, Dr. Sean, our um, ADPCS nurse exec, actually has been detailed to Washington, D.C. in the role as a senior clinical advisor for our um, assistant undersecretary for health. So great opportunity for her to be able to do that and great opportunity for Las Vegas as well to have that face in DC. So give us a little bit of, of your history uh, as far as nursing is concerned. Uh, when did you, were you a nurse before you took on this position? Um, yes, um, I have been a nurse for quite a long time. Um, and most of my career has been in the private sector. And then I came to the VA in 2011, Las Vegas, and um, got to be part of the whole um, activation of the new medical center. Um, so that was um, quite an opportunity as a professional. So what made you want to make the jump from private sector to working within the federal sphere for the VA? Um, so as I said, it, you know, I worked in the private sector. It was a nonprofit community hospital for a very long time, and I saw a shift in the focus from the patient um, to more on the, the money. And I recognized that sort of differed with my values, my internal values, and I wanted to be part of an organization that focused on the patients and doing the right thing no matter what. Um, did a lot of research, uh, found Las Vegas, was actually starting this new medical center, and I thought, what a great opportunity to have the chance to be part of that, and took a chance and applied and um, actually was accepted as the Associate Nurse Executive for Education. So kind of going back to the COVID conversation, since COVID really, you know, took hold here in, in March and, and, you know, since that became kind of our main focus, how have you seen the shift in the focus on nursing? As far as? As far as, you know, typically you have, you know, nurses that work in all different capacities, you know, the perioperative nurses, we have nurses in mental health, you know, a wide breadth. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about some of that later, but... Um, we, I know one of our first things that we did here when we knew about COVID, even before we had our first patient, was we began to kind of cross-train some of those nurses or, or do refresher training. Um, have you seen a more continuation of the, the you know, maybe the uh, jack-of-all-trade aspect of nursing? I think what you'll find within nursing is that there's um, flexibility, that nurses will adapt to whatever the need is. And um, just as you said, when we started seeing the surge for patients on the inpatient side, we had individuals who had like a critical care background that we could do some refresher training and have them work and augment our existing critical care staff. Same time, you see this with a whole vaccine clinic. Um, we have nurses who have flexed from their regular jobs to be able to um, work 
eight hours a day right. giving in, injections uh, for the vaccine, which is phenomenal. And at the same time, you have those remaining in those clinical areas picking up for those individuals who are working elsewhere. So it's but, just extraordinary adaptation. So that only occurs um, with a solid foundation. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that VA, VHA does very well um, versus the private sector and people you know, coming from the private sector, when we talk about emergency preparedness, emergency management, those those fourth mission type things, we prepare for that on a regular basis. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's emergency preparedness on steroids, you know, somewhat. So for us, that, that training and that preparation really positioned us well where we could flex and adapt quickly, whether it was the nursing staff or the provider staff, um, and react and respond and execute on, on those trigger plans um, when COVID did hit. And, and when COVID hit, um, I, I noticed that, you know, there's always a little bit of disarray just naturally sure. because you've got something uh, on that scale that you've never yeah. seen before. A little controlled chaos. Right. Yeah. But it looked like everywhere that we had done something that was out of the ordinary, like we started screening people. Like we don't necessarily have a plan, a huge plan set up for how to screen people. Um, everywhere you look, there was a nurse. Yeah. Right, it was nurses doing the screening. There were nurses that got put into call centers and places like that. Um, what does that say about the? And it wasn't public affairs guys down there doing that. It wasn't you know. It was it was nurses. So what does that say about the nursing corps that they're so willing to just do whatever that they need to do? And I think it's part because of filling part of a hole. They you know every nurse here is committed to the vision. Um, and the mission for VHA. Um, that's one piece. But at the same time, within the Office of Patient Care Services, there is this um, shared governance model where nurses are integral pieces of everything that happens. And they own practice. They own what's happening and their ability to provide care to veterans. And I think that is part of it as well that made them so flexible and adaptable for whatever the request was. They were able to identify a plan and execute it. So I recently heard the term shared governance, and I kind of tried to give myself a little definition or, or find a way that I could equate it to something that I knew. And uh, a way that it was explained to me that really kind of helped was, you know, in the military, we have the NCO Corps, the non-commissioned officers. And the non-commissioned officers are really the the lifeblood of the military. You know, you have the officers that are giving orders and, and making command decisions. But when it comes down to it, the, the people who know everything going on on the front line, those are the NCOs, the, officer, the non-commissioned officers, the sergeants and gunnies and, you know, whatever, what have you, whatever service you're in. Um, and those are our nurses, really. I mean, and the shared governance program is kind of empowering them because they're the ones that really know what's what's going on on the front line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the, the concept itself, I, I thought was a great idea. And is that something that you see you saw where the private sector or is it something that is kind of unique to the VA? Um, I saw it in the private sector. Um, shared decision making or shared governance has been around for um, at least since the 80s. Tim Porter O'Grady yeah. was an individual who initially um, rolled this out within the healthcare sphere. And um, I think what you'll find with shared governance is that you you see nurses taking ownership of their practice. They they drive changes. They influence um, equipment that's bought, supplies that are bought. Um, to improve patient care. 
Um, so mechanically, how does that work here in the in the in in this facility? You say, oh, we, we do shared governance, mm-hmm. but how is that enacted? It's like you you would assume that every employee would be able to go to their boss and say, hey, we need this. Mm-hmm. But how is that actually formally kind of codified and and implemented? So each of our clinical areas have what's called a unit-based council, which is a group of staff who are selected by their peers, who identify um, opportunities within their workplace to make improvements in delivery of care. At the same time, we have some broader governing councils that oversee clinical practice, our policy and procedures, professional growth and development, um, and then an overall arching coordinating council that assures that there's clear communication between the unit-based councils to the broader councils. So it's, it's weaved into our governance structure, mm-hmm. um, and, and those meetings occur regularly. And on a daily basis, when we do our morning stand-ups and our huddles, mm-hmm. and our, we call it our mess huddle, you know, methods, equipment, supplies, processes, uh, are all those things in place, that's a, a mini version of shared yes. governance because that's that collaborative approach, talking to your frontline players and what's going on today. Can we get today's work done today? So when, you know, and maybe it's just me coming from a military background and John coming from a military background, when you talk about this kind of stuff, it's kind of like, duh, like, why wouldn't you do this? Right. But I, I have mm-hmm. friends who are nurses both here in town and, and in other states working for the private sector. And I've, I've asked them about this because... It seems natural, and they're all like, "No, we don't do that." Yeah, like, why? Why this seems so simple? Why is it something that seems like it's such a big deal that we're doing a podcast about the fact that we do it? Yeah, I think sometimes what you may see is that shared governance may take sometimes a little bit longer to enact some changes and. Oftentimes in the private sector, they're not willing to take that time. Um, But I I think it's valuable because you can see the positive outcomes um, from it. And, you know, to be have a bedside clinician be able to say, you know, I really think this product is better for me in delivering care because it saves time, it's better for the patient. It's just really tremendous. That front end investment pays yes. off. And we did mm-hmm. see that when, when COVID did hit. Yes. Sir, as a director, how much faith, how much stock do you put in it when you get feedback from your nursing staff that, you know, th- does that change your opinion on things or, or do you put a lot of stock in that? I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's exclusive to nursing just because we're, you know, we're 3,000 colleagues all, all pulling together and if we're you know many hands make light work and if we're pulling together we're much stronger um, and, and touching back on that, that military background some of those things when I came out of the Air Force you know to Josh's point it just seemed like well this is how you do business and, and, and back when I'm dating myself 30 years ago you know running a, a rehab department managing a rehab department we had those types of shared mm-hmm governance models in place, because uh, it did start back in the 80s, and I'm talking about the early 90s there, so it just made sense. Uh, and on the the non-commissioned side, you know, when I was in the reserves as a corpsman, you learn a lot of those technical skills that are not necessarily, it's not college didactic based, so to speak. You're learning, but you're learning on the fly, and you're doing it kind of the military way, but that brings great value to VA as well, and that's one that we leveraged our intermediate care technician program as a result. 
Uh, tell us a little bit more about the intermediate care technician program, because you know, talking about like having veterans coming in here and, and joining the healthcare network. Um, you know, for somebody who yourself was a corpsman, um, do you do you see a lot of value in having some of those people coming from the military side to the VA? Oh, absolutely! It's diversity uh, number one. So it's just a different lens and a different uh, mindset, different teaching methodology. I'm not saying it's better or worse than any other traditional teaching methodology, but it's just different. Uh, and that lens and that varied perspective that we were able to bring forth, and we were one of the first facilities mm-hmm. to leverage that program uh, here several years ago, um, you know, whether Army medic or corpsman or, or so on and so forth, just just tremendous knowledge they bring. And they actually get credit for that in this system as opposed to uh, you know many places in the private sector that's just, well, no, if you don't have the coursework, it doesn't count kind of thing. So we've been able to leverage that value and I think it's made a big difference for us here. Yeah, it, se- it seems like if you have somebody that's, you know, I was a, I was an IDMT in the Air Force right. for 14 years where they're used to working in that kind of an environment where they're not a doc, but they're, right. you know, you're in a deployed forward location and, and sometimes an IDMT is all you get, Yeah. right? Um, yeah, it seems like it, it would be a waste to right. just look at right. that and go, well, you don't have this certification or you don't have this, 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 this. You're, you're useless to us. So, like, so you got to find a experience way to matters. Yeah, right? let, let yeah. them function to the highest scope of their knowledge base versus just a, a piece of paper. Right. Uh, you still have to codify that in competencies and you know traditional learning methodologies and make sure that they're safe to provide care. But I think it's been a great program for us. It has, it has. And it's a you know the perfect marriage between... DOD and VA, as somebody's ending their career in the military, they have that bridge that they can come and, you know, orient and and become, you know, an ICT in the VA world. So, yeah, it's perfect. We're going to take a quick break, come back with Dr. Crawford and Mr. Karen, and we're going to go over some of the recognitions that our nurses have earned. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. 
Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Dr. Crawford and Mr. Karen. We're talking about our nursing staff and uh, some of the wonderful things that they've done both during the pandemic and before. And uh, one of the biggest recognitions that our staff earned before the pandemic even started was the Pathways to Excellence Award. Uh, Dr. Crawford, explain a little bit what Pathways to Excellence means. Great. Well, Pathways to Excellence, um, it is a international and national de- uh, designation for a healthcare facility or healthcare system that has created a positive work environment, quality patient care. And it really is a journey um, to obtain the Pathway to Excellence accreditation. Uh, It's about changing the culture of the organization where nurses feel empowered. So just as we referenced earlier, the shared decision-making, shared governance is an integral part of creating that environmental change. Um, And it's using the standards that ANCC has laid out for Pathways to Excellence designation as a framework for creating uh, the culture that staff want to be here to work and provide patient care. Sounds like the the Michelin star of nursing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. You know, we were fortunate. We were the first in Southern Nevada to receive that. And there are only, as of today, 195 organizations that have that designation. So uh, is this a a, a typical thing for the VA to have? Or is this, were we one of the first VAs to get it? We were one of the first first few. Um, There were some others before us. Um, There are also a couple others that are magnet designated as well. What what kind of a impact does that end up having going forward? Like it's, it's great to be recognized, but um, have you seen any, any impacts that getting that, that certification and qualification has had? Have nurses come to us and say, Hey, I want to work here because you guys have that. Um, because it is, it sounds like it's, it's rather rare. And I remember when we were going through the process, it's a, it, it was a significant process to go through and meet all of those, those things. So what's, what's, what's been the impact going forward from that? I believe what you'll see is that nurses will seek out organizations that are pathway certified or magnet certified because they know that that organization has gone through a rigorous assessment and that the environment and the workplace for the nurse is a positive one, that that they're assured that they're safe um, with equipment, they're safe with supplies that they're able to be able to provide the best care possible for patients in that type of environment. So if you're you know, a nurse who's just out of nursing school and uh, you're looking at prospective places to work and you're factoring in, you know, the intrinsic value of working for the VA versus, you know, what monetary thing you'd have somewhere else versus, you know, a number of other factors. Uh, when you see that the, the pathway certification or the pathways uh, recognition here at the VA, uh, you know, is that is that factor into a lot of decision making? That would be one of those factors, yes. Uh, If I was new, brand new, starting out today in nursing, that would be one of the items that I would look at um, in making my decision. You know, in nursing, um, sometimes the money is there for individuals if they want to go, but they don't necessarily have the best working environment. So it's the balance and finding out what's important to you um, and your calling as a nurse. So... 
obviously nursing is a very team oriented, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, craft. You guys, you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, having all your nurses on the same page is critical to, to having good healthcare. Uh, but there are, there have been some individuals who've been, you know, recognized for going above and beyond. And, uh, the 2020 Pathways Nurse of the Year was actually from our facility. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Um, so, Dania Teal um, was the recipient, actually, of the first inaugural um, Pathway Excellence Nurse of the Year, uh, which is really quite phenomenal that out of, as I said, 195 Pathway-designated facilities that Dania was recognized for the contributions that she has made to the work environment, uh, for her enthusiasm for shared governance and the pathway standards. Uh, she has just been a spokesperson and a role model for her peers, um, and it has been really quite contagious. And, and I think it says a lot, you know, going back to what we were talking about in the first segment, where people are filling in wherever, you know, wherever they're needed. Um, you know, right now she is managing and leading all of the screeners yes, here in the exactly. building where, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a big deal. Like it's not, you know, it, it's one of those things like they're the f- kind of the first line of trying to make sure that COVID doesn't get inside of this building. So for her to be able to me, I think it's pretty neat that, that she, she stepped up and said, Hey, I will lead this effort yes. to, to go and make sure that, you know, it's it, and it takes her away from patients. It takes her away from all of that, that stuff that you consider a core nursing competency. But um, yeah, I just think it's really neat. Yeah. That, and that, you know, that truly exemplifies, you know, the criteria for that nerve pathway nurse of the year and just exemplifies what Dania is and how she comes across that she's willing to jump in wherever. You know, speaking of the multifaceted, you know, work that our, our nurses do, uh, how have you seen the nursing career field evolve over the years? So I, I believe I've seen, as I said, I've been in nursing for quite a number of years, and I've seen the change from um, just the caregiver at the bedside to more of a partnership um, in healthcare and that uh, equal partner with providers and other healthcare professionals. And, you know, a, an example of that is our PAC model um, primary care, where, you know, PACT is patient aligned care team. And that's exactly what it is it's a team of physicians, the nurse, the um, HAS staff that are coordinating the care for the patient. So I think that is probably the biggest change, as, as I said, a, more of an equal partner in the delivery of care. Is that packed team model, is that something that is exclusive to the VA, or do you see that in the private sector as well? Well, we call it packed. We call it the medical home model in the, in the private sector. Healthcare has evolved tremendously, not just in, in our career yes. time, but you look at the days of the, the country physician, you know, he or she at that time, more often than not, was a he in those days. Uh, it was the the knowledge that was there could be absorbed and, and managed by an individual or maybe in a, in another person. Now, medicine's changing so rapidly, and we've seen it just in the pandemic. Look at the, how the science has evolved just in the past year. Uh, it It's become team-based, partnership-based care because it's impossible and leveraging technology at the same time. Uh, because it's impossible for one human being to be able to work through all those permutations in their mind and provide the best care. So that partnership, whether it be at the bedside, 
or in any clinic is critical right now to get the best care out there. And you see that in high-performing healthcare systems is truly partner-based care. And, you know, the work that our nurses are doing, it's not just, you know, exclusively based in our clinics and in our medical center. Uh, we've had a, a number of, of nurses that have gone out to do fourth mission work uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and we're seeing nurses play a large role in uh, community care and home-based care. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? That's true. We have a large percentage of our um, veterans who are out in the community hospitals. And we actually have a, a service that oversees that care that's happening out in the community. They do the care coordination. They do the follow-up to make sure the veteran's been seen. Um, they help on the front end with the scheduling, scheduling perspective. Uh, and then, as you said, we have home-based primary care where nurses actually go into the home to care for those patients and assure that um, they're at the level of activity, et cetera, that uh, they need to be. Uh, we talked a little bit about recruitment before, about how important it is to, to bring you know, fresh young nurses out of uh, nursing school. But one thing that I've seen here with the VA is that they do a really good job of trying to promote from within, and uh, I believe it's called the, the Grow Your Own program. Um, how have you seen that develop? So I'll start back a little bit. I think part of what is great about the VA is that there are internal growth opportunities, and it starts as early as somebody being a nursing student and being part of the Valor program. And then locally, what we have is a RN transition to practice program. So as somebody graduates out of nursing school, say they've completed that Valor program, they can become part of this transition to practice program where during their first year of employment as a nurse, they go through a really extensive orientation and exposure to the whole healthcare environment because many of us know going to school, learning it, doing the book learning is totally different than real world application. Mm-hmm. Um, and then individuals are able to transition to real positions. And then internally, we do have uh, Grow Your Own programs for critical care, for our OR, for emergency department. Um, we also are getting ready to start a career exploration program. So individuals who maybe have a desire to look at other opportunities within healthcare but are afraid to make that leap, giving them the opportunity to actually shadow one of their colleagues in another service, another type of nursing, to see if that's something that might interest them. Is, is that rare in, in the nursing profession to have a, an organization that's that focused on, on development? Because, um, you know, I, I, I talk to some folks that seem to think like, you know, they they work at a, a medical facility and, and it's, well, are you qualified? Yes or no. And if you are, great, cool, you're going to fill this slot and that's all you're ever going to do, right? Um, so is, is that, which is the more prevalent? And what's the benefit for us to to make that effort? I think probably what's more prevalent is exactly as you referenced. Um, For us, I think the opportunity for continued growth is what healthcare is all about. Um, And especially as nurses, yes, you'll see individuals who will have spent 20 years in the same clinical area, but then you'll see, especially the younger generation who want more opportunities. They want the growth. They want that broader perspective of healthcare. Um, So I think that is a drawing factor for us as well. The result is a well-rounded nurse corps. 
yes. you know, that has a diverse experience. So that, again, that investment on the front end, uh, and I love the transition to practice program for that reason, really, uh, you have a highly oriented, highly competent, well-rounded uh, nurse that becomes part of the team. And I also believe that it helps um, lend itself to creating that collaborative environment because individuals have exposure to all of the different clinical areas and they no longer are just working with blinders on and in their own lane. They see that this is a bigger system and that we're all in this together. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, you know, very informative for me because I've learned a lot about the, the nursing corps and, and all the great work that you guys do here. So thank you very much. Um, two quick things that I want to talk about before we uh, let everyone go. Uh, February 20th, we're going to be hosting our uh, quarterly Women's Health Day, and that's going to be held here at our Women's Health Clinic. So it is by appointment only. So uh, if you contact the Women's Health Clinic, we will uh, leave the phone number in the show liner and uh, make an appointment. They are basically a one-stop shop. They're going to be doing uh, mammography, uh, pap smears. Uh, they'll have women's health, uh, mental health on hand. So it's a great opportunity if you're looking to get a couple appointments knocked out. Um, you can do that. I believe it's from 8 o'clock until one, 8 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock p.m. And then uh, the same weekend, we are going to be this, doing the second round of our Perump vaccine clinic. So if you are a veteran over the age of 70 living in Pahrump, um, contact the Pahrump Clinic and they will get you scheduled for an appointment. Um, again, this is appointment-based, so there is not going to be any walk-ins. So um, if you are hearing this before that time, uh, go ahead and make that phone call if, uh, if you are of that age group. Um, again, thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we will see you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.